Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 11 of Spectator Mode. I am your host, JJ Pietra, Joshua Jeremiah, and I am joined on the line this week by Mr. Diego Perez. What's going on, man? Hey, man. been playing a lot of video games. Yeah, isn't that always the case? Aren't you always playing a lot of video games? <sighs> yeah. That's what we do. We just play video games. That's how we roll. And also joining me on the line, the man from town under, Carl Mysmart. What's going on, man? Well, not playing as much video games as I wanted to because of this thing called a goddamn job. But I still get to play video games every now and again. I still remember what they are. At least I think I do. <laughs> I remember you. Well, as you notice, Keith isn't actually here this week because... I don't know, something about being compromised. I don't know what the exact reason is. I kind of drifted off after the first few words when he said, hate to be that guy. I'm like, yeah, he's gone. So I guess he'll be sitting out this week. Something about his job, something broke, all that fun stuff. Life of an IT professional. Yeah, especially an on-call IT professional. Means you get called up at any time to fix any number of problems, and they never let you actually get some sleep or actually do anything. So you're literally just sitting there staring at the wall for eight hours. Yeah, pretty much. It happens to almost everybody. My friend Caleb, when I play uh, World of Warcraft with, um, he had uh, similar issues like in the past. Uh, he's like in the middle of tanking a boss. He's like, God damn it, I gotta go fix something. AFK. And we still won. I mean, that's how easy World of Warcraft is. <laughs> so be that as it may... You've gone back to Warcraft? Yeah. Dot, dot, Why? dot. It's actually gotten better. They actually fix a lot of the problems, so I'll give them credit. But 8.2 is where it's going to be really fun. Um, I've been playing some of that in the PTR, and yeah, so far they've kind of redeemed themselves this expansion. It kind of went from like a complete shithole to actually playable, so we'll see how it goes. You know you want to come back, Carl. No. No, I don't. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Don't worry. Nazos tendrils will pull you in sooner or later, no matter how much you deny it. Got that whispers in my head. <laughs> so, we got some news to talk about this week. The first one, Sony had a state of play, something about Final Fantasy VII Remake, and a complete blur after that. Let's be honest. Um, who else remembers what happened on state of play aside from Final Fantasy VII Remake? Not this guy. That's for damn sure. Uh, but, I'm hyped. I can't wait to uh, get my hands on this game. Um, even though Final Fantasy VII is not my favorite Final Fantasy, nine would be my favorite. Um, still, I can understand why Square is basically remaking this one because it's the first Final Fantasy that's in 3D. It was on PlayStation. Um, it came after the incredibly awkward numbering system because we didn't get, at that time, all the Final Fantasies here in the United States. We only had like a couple of them. And they were completely like different numbers than when they were in Japan. So it, unless you're like a diehard NES, Super NES fan, and with the height of Sony's popularity hitting with the PlayStation, and then later the PlayStation 2, you know, Final Fantasy VII was a lot of people's first Final Fantasy. And honestly, it was mine. Um, I played 7, 8, and 9. Then I went back and played like some of the older ones, like 4 and 6. And all the other ones are available. Then the Origins collection came out where they had one and two remade on there. And, you know, I enjoyed some of the older ones too. Um, honestly, nine, four, six, then seven would be like my favorite order. But still, it has a nostalgia factor. And I completely understand it because as soon as they say Final Fantasy VII Remake, it just prints money. And if you need money, that's what you do. You just remake Final Fantasy VII. That's what they're doing. Um, the trailer was only about a minute and seven seconds in length, but um, one person on YouTube, I actually forgot the name, and I should have credited them, sorry, but uh, they actually went through the trailer and pointed out a whole bunch of like different little details that they paid attention to in um, the trailer, and it was just mind-blowing when you like match it up with the original game, just how much similarities there are, even though it looks completely different, but I'll get into that in a second. Uh, first, Diego, what were your thoughts on this trailer, if you did watch it? Um, I liked it. I mean, it looks pretty much the same as the couple of trailers we've gotten for the remake already. 
just uh, with some slightly redesigned characters and some actual gameplay this time. Um, they're still going to make it episodic, which I'm not too big on, but hopefully there'll be enough content in each episode and they won't feel like they're splitting the game up just to just to increase sales. But I'm not the biggest Final Fantasy VII fan, so I'm not I'm not too concerned about what happens. Okay. How about you, Carl? What did you think about the trailer? Uh, I thought it was actually quite interesting. Like, I was one of those people who has played through Final Fantasy VII quite a few times. So watching the trailer, and I'm like, spotting, okay, this is this scene, this is that scene, this is they're doing the exact same shot, but it's all nice and pretty three D now. The thing that got me the most, though, was the fighting system. It's not the active wait time system anymore. It seems to be that they're taking the 3D movement and all that stuff that they've done in sort of the more recent games and combined it with that battle system. So it's sort of, it's going to be, I'm now interested in seeing more actual gameplay and actually seeing how the battle system works properly. Because we only got sort of like small snippets of it in this game and it's like that little tease of, okay, what are we doing? How are we doing it? I want—I just want to know what's going on. Like, story-wise, I no longer care because I play that damn thing to death. But I want to see how the game actually plays. And we only got a little tease here, and it's, it's not enough. I, I need more. Give me more, more, more. <laughs> well, one of the things that um, they pointed out in the breakdown of the trailer was the battle system. And they say it's not like Final Fantasy XV because in there you had at least some um, waiting time between like actions. And if you actually paid attention during the combat scenes, like the actions on the left were flashing a lot, like someone was mashing buttons. So it seems to be like more of like an arcadey, like fast-paced action where you're just like you know chaining t- attacks together based on like I guess I'm guessing predetermined selections. Um, there seems only to be like a couple of slots there, uh, but they did show off um, doing uh, some of the limit breaks, such as Cloud's um, cross slash, and they also showed off Barrett's mind blow, I think it was, or big shot rather. Uh, so that's going to be interesting about how you build up to those. I mean, I can't imagine that they're like regular attacks that would just be insanely overpowered. So there's got to be at least some system where you reach a limit break and it becomes available. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I really want to see more gameplay and maybe like an in-depth breakdown. I mean, E3 is around the corner, so they said more coming in June. Um, but some of the little things that they pointed out that that was really cool was they didn't really say it on screen, but they did visually confirm the materia system would be in the game. And you could basically look at this as uh, Cloud's Buster Sword. In some scenes, there's actually one green materia gem slotted into one of the uh, holes of the sword. And in another scene, there's actually two green gems slotted in the sword. And as you know, Cloud started off with two elemental attacks in Final Fantasy VII, and uh, they're there. So I don't know if it's going to be visually represented on all weapons, but it was definitely cool to see that little small attention to detail, which kind of confirmed Materia will be in the game. Um, Some of the attack graphics are actually the same. Like, uh, when they're actually fighting with Cloud and Aerith, um, Aerith hit her, uh, her staff, and the actual effect that happened was like a kind of like a blue lens flare and if you actually go back to the original final fantasy 7 it's the same actual spell effect that happens when she hits with her staff and same thing with cloud's buster sword they actually kept like the arcing sparks when he actually lands a hit which was also from the original game which was a pretty cool uh detail um they also have uh blocking the game so that's part of the combat system. So that's going to replace the defend mode on uh, your turn-based system. So you get to block and reduce some incoming damage. Um, they showed off when Barrett did his big shot. There's going to be interactable environments where they showed like a, a traffic cone like rolling around after the explosion. And um, I already talked about the buttons being mashed. And uh, they confirmed Tifa's in the game, obviously, because she was on one of the uh, character menus during the combat system. And then the character designs, like one of the things they noticed was Aerith has a new necklace. Instead of just being a little bit of a rope there, they have a rope, a little flower, which is a little nod to uh, Zack. So that was actually a pretty cool touch. And uh, that's actually a lot of information that they found in just that little, you know, one minute and seven seconds. 
Um, so given that, any additional thoughts on the level of detail that they're putting into the game? Well, obviously, there'd have to be an extra level of detail to it. Like, I'm constantly rewatching the trailer as we, as we speak, just to get an idea of what's going on properly. And, like, the more you more you were speaking about the, the combat system and that, I'm sort of thinking, okay, it sounds more and more like um, Final Fantasy XII's combat system, just without that stupid automatic thing that everybody hated back then. Oh, the macros? Yeah, the macro system and all that type of stuff. But uh, it, it's definitely looking... Like, it's looking spectacular. And, yeah, I think it, it's getting to the point where it's like, hopefully we're far enough in the development cycle that come June, not only do we actually get some more like in-depth explanation of characters, game, gameplay, but, come on, it's time for a demo. It's time for a demo. Oh yeah, most definitely. And I expect that E3 won't give us a release date, but I am expecting E3 will give us a demo date that we could probably download and play on PlayStation 4, kind of like how they did with Final Fantasy 15. And um, maybe they'll tie it into like the main game once it comes out. Who knows, but I'm at least expecting that. Um, any final thoughts, Diego, from you? Uh, I think we'll get gameplay at E3, like more in-depth, hopefully a longer straight-up just gameplay session. And I do think we'll get a date at E3, but just for the first episode. Maybe not a specific date, but a release window for sure, like spring 2020 or fall 2020. I don't think it'll be this fall. There's no way. But I think the first episode might be closer than people think, just because it's going to be episodic. I I would imagine it'll be three episodes, because three discs, but you know how Square is. Yeah, could be like Final Fantasy VII, episode 10. And never like, when is this shit going to end? Why did we ask for this? Yeah, but I really hope they go into the whole episodic thing and give us a, a rough idea of where they're going to split the episodes. Because if they just do disc one, disc two, disc three, that would be fine. But then again, there's some weird pacing issues if you just release just one disc at a time. Uh, and I want some word on pricing. If they're going to be like full $60 episodes, I don't know about that. But I don't see Square charging like 15 or 20 per episode. I, I really see them charging a lot. But I, the point is, I want. I, I'd say more. I'd say at least uh, I'd say at least thirty-five an episode. Yeah, I think thirty or forty is a decent range. chunk for the episode, depending on how substantial they are. Yeah, and of course, you're also going to have you know your collector's editions and probably like your super expensive premium edition, where it's gonna be like three hundred dollars, and all you get is like a wall scroll and the, a selected soundtrack, and not the full thing or some stupid crap like that, <laughs> as you we usually get these days. And you know, that's another topic we could talk about sometime. Like, I really miss the days where premium editions actually gave you shit that was worth the money. But I'm just grumpy like that, I guess. Moving on, we got uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint uh, basically announced with an official trailer this week. And um, honestly, I'll let you guys talk about this one because I'm not really a Ghost Recon fan. I, I tried one of the games and it just wasn't my cup of tea. Uh the only Tom Clancy game I've actually really enjoyed was uh, The Division. So, yeah, that kind of speaks to my knowledge on Tom Clancy games. But, uh, Diego, what would you think about the uh, the Breakpoint release? I'm excited. It looked really good. I mean, I enjoyed Wildlands for what it was. The It was really lacking in the narrative department, though. But Breakpoint looks to be providing that in some some ways. We have a more focused story. We have actual characters. They said dialogue options during the stream, which has me really excited. Um, but I'm, I'm glad it's keeping the same gameplay loop that Wildlands had, where it's open-world co-op, going and clear bases and things like that. Great customization, but they're adding more of a story. And that's that's exactly what I wanted out of a sequel to Wildlands. Cool. How about you, Carl? I have no clue about this. I've just started up the trailer. Sorry. I was at work when, every, when everything dropped. So, you know, the only time I really got to do anything was during breaks or if I decided to take a, a sneaky toilet run. And even then, it's like I got like two minutes to maybe watch one trailer. And considering most trailers now are about five minutes, it's fucking half an hour. I didn't get a ch- chance to sort of have a look into things. But to be honest, it's... If, if it's anything like the previous games, yeah, okay. It'll be interesting to look into. But just sort of going through the announcement trailer now, 
Yeah, you pre-cut footage. Um, yeah. Next. Yeah, they did a, a gameplay demo during the stream. They went through a mission, but it looked a lot like Wildlands. Like, if you hadn't told me it was a new game, I wouldn't have believed it was a new game. Uh, and it, it still looks like it's going to be typical Ubisoft fair, giant open world, a lot of filler side activities. But I'm, I'm hoping that it'll be closer to, like, the new Assassin's Creed's in quality than, than say, Wildlands was. Nothing that'll knock me out of the park, but, like, something that's just fine. Just like most Ubisoft games are. Just good enough. That's all I'm asking. And yep, actually, you know, I was reading the article a little bit when um, you guys were talking, and I actually noticed something that I haven't seen used in a game in a while. I mean, obviously, if this was in the past uh, Tom Clancy game, I apologize, because, like I said, I don't usually play most of them. But I saw that uh, players are going to have to eat rations and stay hydrated to maintain their health and stamina. I haven't seen, personally... That system since EverQuest, where you actually had the food have food on you at all times, otherwise your character would pretty much die. So yeah, um, and they showed um, depending on where where you take damage and the severity of the damage, your character can get injured and it can affect your aim and your movement speed, which is giving me huge uh, Snake Eater vibes, and I'm I'm all in on that. What about you, Carl? Do you think that a system is like kind of like an old school feel, you know, like a new school game type of thing? Uh, the, the second you mentioned it, I'm like, oh look, Snake Eater's back. And just, I, I think there is that many people on this planet that didn't enjoy Snake Eater, and if you didn't enjoy Snake Eater, you're wrong. Um, come find me, bitches. <laughs> but uh, like, I'm, I'm looking at the gameplay now, and holy shit, the graphical detail on this thing for like they're going through a forest area, and you can see the moss on the on the rocks. It actually looks like moss, just not just like a green texture over a rock. They've they've really put some uh, some good detail and time into actually making this look good. Even if they even if they, if they let this play something along the lines of like the division, which is sort of what it looks like to me. But then again, that's I'm like Josh. I mostly play the division. Then I'm I'm down to give it a try. Yeah, I'm not like over the moon excited, but I'm excited. Like I'm lo- I'm looking forward to this, especially because it's only four months away, or five months away. Yeah, we're in the middle of the sort of the mid-year gaming drought as well. So, any anything that looks at least halfway decent, we're all like, "Ooh, that might be worth playing." Yeah, I wonder what they're gonna showcase at E3 for this game because the fact that they went all in and did like a half-hour presentation. Now, if they show more of it at E3, it's. I mean, they could show new features, but Ghost Recon is Ghost Recon. They show another mission; it's gonna look exactly the same. So, I'm I'm curious to see if like they have something. That'll blow us away at E3. Maybe they could show that raid, because they did talk about Ghost Recon getting a raid sometime after launch. Raids are always fun. Depends on how they're handled, though. I mean, Division had raids. Because Ghost Recon's not like an MMO light like Division is. It's strictly a one-to-four-player co-op game. Gotcha, so kind of the raids that are in Final Fantasy XIV. So it's like, what, four people as well, if I remember correctly? Guess not. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious it. to see how they're going to handle raids in a game like this. Yeah, definitely be interesting. Um, what else is interesting is uh, paying more money for internet subscriptions on your consoles. In other words, EA is uh, coming to PlayStation 4 with EA Access. So, yeah, be prepared to hand over more money if you want to uh, play EA's best games as much as you want on console. EA Access uh, is actually an incredible deal if you're into the EA library. Like, if you play sports games, it's only yeah. 30 bucks a year, and you get, like, all of these games. Obviously, we're not the main audience for this, but the, <laughs> the Xbox people have been using EA Access for a while, and it's it's a, only 30 bucks a year. It's great. because you get 10-hour uh, demos of new games? I played 10 hours of Anthem before that launched with EA Access on my Xbox. Uh, I wouldn't have paid for it, but... It's it's a great way to try out games, and you get access to a huge vault of games. And it's mainly for, for more casual players who want to play FIFA every year, Madden every year, The Sims, Battlefield every now and then. I'm, I'm just astounded that the price is only 30 bucks a year. That is not a lot for the value you're getting. Yeah, true, but you also have to factor in that you're also paying 60 a year for PlayStation Plus, and now you're paying yeah. 90 a year for two services. I, th- I think most console yeah, but, players don't really take the the online subscription into account. I think they just kind of forget about it. Yeah, that, that's the main thing. Like nobody really cares about that. We're used to it now. Yeah, yeah it's it, become it's, so commonplace. It's like you know how long Xbox Live's been around a lot longer than PlayStation Plus. 
people have been buying that for years and they just go okay yeah i drop whatever 50 bucks a year on it or whatever it is playstation came along did the same thing and they're like okay cool just do that now nintendo's come along done the same thing it's like well okay welcome to how gaming is in modern year where we're just gonna end up having to pay a base rate just to access online features now subscription services are coming along going okay we're gonna offer you x for 30 bucks you know like um xbox game pass and ea is just practically doing the same thing except they're just more expensive and have more madden but uh yeah it's it's the way it's the way the industry's going and okay if i can get access to you know hundreds of games for 30 bucks a year that's fucking cheap it's better than having to rebuy shit yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not really disappointed the value on it, though. I mean, I get the value. It's just uh, personally, I don't care for it because, well, I'm not an EA fan. I don't play any of their sports games. I'm not a Battlefield fan. I'm a Call of Duty fan. I mean, yeah, I said it. Fight me. I uh, don't really care about A Way Out or Titanfall or Mass Effect. I'm not a Sims fan. So you know, like a lot of the stuff that EA puts out, I just don't care about. So, I mean, obviously, if you are an EA fan, this is kind of like a treasure trove in paradise and, you know, Valhalla has opened its gate and showed you all it could offer. But for me, it's just like, eh, I'm not going to get it. Yeah, I think for the, the general audience, this is a fantastic proposition. And you get, like, on Xbox anyway, not on PlayStation 4, you get a backwards compat game. So you get all the Dead Space games, the Mass Effect trilogy. It's a little more limited on PS4 but just because of the nature of backwards compatibility on that system. But you still get a lot of stuff. Yeah, like I said, the value is there, just not for me. But if you're an EA fan, go nuts. I mean, this is great. I mean, everything you could ever want from EA is right there for 30 bucks. I mean, that's a hell of a deal. And that being said, time for the... Uh, before, you, before you move on, Josh, let me ask you this. Okay. Say if this is the future, right, of the way things go, companies are going to allow you to access back catalog games for, say, about 20, 30 bucks a year. Would you be quite happy paying that if, say, Capcom turned around and said, we're going to allow you to have a, access to our back catalog going all the way back to certain consoles, depending, because obviously there'd be differences. Say, like, uh, Nintendo would have all the, obviously, early Nintendo games, etc. Would you be willing to play that? pay that? Yes and no. So... No, if I had to pay for it on every system that they have a game catalog for. Yes, if I had to pay one subscription a year and I get access to on to it on all consoles. So if they make well, it cross-console, yes. Well, does anyone know if that's what it is with, um, with the EA system? I'm because they've already, sure been, they've already been doing this on PC. Is it yeah, but that's a different service. Because you also get it. Uh, on consoles, it's EA access. On PC, it's Origin access, and the game library is a bit different, and the pricing is different, so they treat them as separate services. I don't know uh, if, if you get EA access, then you, if you get it on Xbox and PS4, but it ties it to your EA account, so I don't see why it wouldn't. See, it's actually kind of interesting. You need to, yeah. to be a guinea pig for this. Well, you serve somebody who got all the EA stuff, but uh, they're not going to be around. But, uh, that's actually an interesting thing to, to hear, though. It's like, you know, are they going to end up piecemealing it where you have to buy it per console, or is it going to be that it's like a one fit all? Because at oh, thirty okay. bucks, I, a, I, if, a, a, a one a one fit, you have to pay separately. Well, fuck. Yeah, that. I just found out. Yeah, sorry, well, EA, well, fuck you. <laughs> Rip the dream, guys. Yeah. Uh, but the general audience is targeting. I don't imagine they would have both consoles. But for people like us, that's a little disappointing. Yeah, I mean, if it was cross-platform, that would definitely be really worth it. I mean, thirty bucks a year, get all the games in their library on both Xbox One and PlayStation Four. That's a steal. Yeah. Um, but going back to Carl's question, that could add up a lot. If you if you are someone who owns like all three consoles and and Capcom did that, said all right, everything we ever released on Nintendo. Is there thirty bucks a year? Everything we release on PlayStation is there thirty bucks a year, and then on Xbox, same thing. That's ninety dollars a year. 
that's a little steep just to get access to a whole catalog across three systems. I would probably compromise and say like 45 or 50 a year and get access to everything on all consoles and just have it tied to one account. But the flip side of that is that while Nintendo and Microsoft are holding hands and playing nice, Sony is not exactly willing to do so. And that's going to fall back into the whole cross-platform play unless Capcom decides to do their own system to bypass all of that. So there's well, also the, that well, issue. Well, that's, the, that's the thing. I can probably see Sony coming to the table if it's a big company like EA turned around and said, look, we want to make it that we have one account goes across all platforms. It, the, the caveat would be we're not allowing cross-play unless the company agrees to it, but we want to have access be the main thing where you have access to the games from the one account rather than us piecemealing it. But if they did something like that, I could see some Sony jumping on board, no problems, because it's access to games. Crossplay, again, they're still very iffy. There's been reports that they are getting more and more open to the idea, but the problem is that the, at the end of the day, the decision needs to be made by the head of the head of Sony Japan, and the Japanese, by nature, and you know, controversial as this will sound, they are an extremely restrictive, very to themselves people. They don't want to interact with the rest of the world, so they will close off everything that they want to to keep for themselves, and that's where the problem lies. As Sony being a old school Japanese company. Yeah, and it's also ironic, too, because they cite security as a reason why they don't want to do that, yet their network has been hacked more times than any other console combined. Maybe because it's that reason they're afraid. I don't know. I mean, I don't see the harm in it. But like you said, it could just be Japanese thinking. Like, as we move forward in the industry and as, like, services like this and cross-platform become bigger issues and more commonplace, I feel like we're going to have to address these questions and answer these questions as we move forward. I, I think that Sony giving cop-out answers like security just won't fly in a couple years. Like, they're going to have to address it sooner or later. And I feel like every company will. Like, this is just how things are going to be from now on. Yeah, and when a push comes to shove, it's going to be a question of Sony's like, are you just a greedy corporate company? And, of course, to save face, they're going to be like, no. And all of a sudden, bam, cross-platform opens up. So Yeah, yeah. it's going to depend on how next-gen goes, because the reason Microsoft is doing all these things for cross-platform and doing all these services like Game Pass is because they're behind. And if Sony's behind next-gen, I, I guarantee we're going to see them swap their uh, position on these on these issues real quick. Yeah, and honestly, I think Sony was only ahead of this uh, generation because Xbox or Microsoft blew the Xbox yeah, One presentation. Like, that is the like, only TV, reason they're ahead TV, right now. TV, 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 TV. By the way, Call of Duty. TV, 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 TV. And by the way, Call of Duty with dogs. And they're just like, Xbox is always listening. <laughs> That's why I'm so excited for, for Microsoft's next two E3 conferences, because they're really going to have a chance to redo what they did back in 2013. And it's really exciting to see if Sony's just going to let them or not. Yeah, like I said, that's the only reason why Sony is uh, pretty much ahead, because they actually yeah. went out and bashed Microsoft and their own yeah, conference. Man. The game-sharing video? Yep. Oh, man, good times. But, yeah, in the last generation, PlayStation 3 was far behind Xbox 360. And, honestly, I'm going to basically say it. Xbox 360 was possibly one of the greatest video game consoles in history. Yeah, I'd agree with you on amazing. that. And uh, PlayStation 4 only nudged them out because Microsoft slipped up. And I don't think Microsoft's going to make that mistake. And whatever Xbox is out next, I think it's going to actually beat the PlayStation. Yeah. And Sony managed to maintain our momentum this gen with with amazing exclusive titles. But Microsoft has all these studios now. Like, they bought Ninja Theory, and they have the initiative now. And I feel like they're going to come back and hit even harder with their own exclusive titles. And they're going to have stuff like Game Pass to back it. You can play the new Halo for a dollar a month with Game Pass. Like, you don't have to pay for the new Halo. It's just a part of your sub. That's that's incredible. And that's going to be a huge selling point for next gen. Yeah, but there's yeah, only but where, one where, thing. Whereas you, you have idiots like me who are like, oh, I sold my Xbox One because I wasn't getting any use out of it. Now I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I just picked up an Xbox 360 and an original Xbox front of like 15 bucks, And the games are expensive as hell. Crap. Gee, I wish yeah, I had my Xbox one in my game uh, Yeah, there's one thing that's really 
have me worried though about Microsoft and then being like all touchy feel with other companies is the fact that, like you mentioned, PlayStation has so many exclusives to help them win the console war this gen. And even if Microsoft doesn't slip up, they have one little um, thing they've kind of stabbed themselves or shot themselves in the foot with, and that's the Xbox Anywhere uh, yeah. feature where you can actually play it on PC because the only exclusives that I actually cared about on Xbox on One that they're on PC and, and I can just every buy them there. Forward, we'll be on PC as well. But yeah, I think so... this is because they're trying to make Xbox less of the box itself and more of an ecosystem and a platform. So people who buy the Xbox consoles, they're going to keep buying them, and they have the people on PC now as well. And they put a couple of games on Switch every now and then, like Cuphead. And you get invested in the Xbox brand and the Xbox uh, ecosystem, and then you spend money in their in their digital stores. And that's their plan moving forward, because I think Microsoft is looking really far into the future to where we're not locked into one box anymore. And they have xCloud uh, public trials launching this year, and that's going to be another uh, way for people to get Xbox games. Yep, exactly. And that's the whole reason why I haven't bought an Xbox One. And it's not like I think the Xbox One is a terrible system. I don't. I think it's an amazing system. I just don't have a personal need to buy one because all the games I want are on PC. Yeah, but then you got people like me and I pick up a One X because I want the Xbox exclusives, but I also want older games that play better on One X. Like the original Red Dead Redemption plays in 4K on the One X. And that's awesome. So there's something for everybody with the Xbox lineup. And that's really what they're pushing for. Yeah, and even though I don't have a console, well, Microsoft still has my money. They got it for Killer Instinct and Gears of War 4. people without hardware, they're going to be able to get people who are in the, in the mobile market with xCloud streaming. Stream Forza to your phone. I'm not going to do it, but some casual person will. Yeah, actually, uh, what was I just reported on? I think it was Gameloft that was the uh, mobile company. It was actually the Xbox first mobile Live, company right? yep, to uh, get Xbox Live on mobile. Yeah. Because they planned that a while ago for Xbox Live on Switch and mobile and like other platforms that aren't the Xbox, and they're finally doing it. Yeah, Microsoft finally treating gaming like it should have been treated since the very beginning for everybody. Yeah, Beautiful I really thing. like the, everything they've been doing this gen. It's such, it's such a crazy uh, turnaround story. It is. It went from like a losing race to basically having a, a huge you know, stake in it and coming back swinging it's actually awesome what they're doing and they're not going to catch up to the ps4 like the ps3 caught up to the 360 last gen eventually but they they have a huge stake in next gen people are behind xbox oh yeah and uh i might actually end up picking up whatever the next xbox console is i'll obviously pick up a playstation 5 because i know there's going to be exclusives for sony that i'm going to want uh but yeah if if they can actually pull out all the stops and you know, hype me up at E3 and all that good stuff. I'll go back to buying an Xbox again. Yeah, and like Game even Pass if I can is get it on a, PC, such a great value. Because like when you bought the Xbox One, there were, you wanted to play Dead Rising Three, Rise, or whatever else they were doing. But with the, the next Xbox, all their games are going to be on Game Pass day one. So you buy the new Xbox, you don't have to buy games for it if you have Game Pass. You just kind of get them day one. And that's going to be really interesting. This is like the first gen where that's ever happened. You buy a console, you don't have to buy the launch titles. They're just kind of included if you have a subscription, which most people will. Like, do you remember that? Like when you bought like a console that actually came with a game? But this is even better because you get all the games. And it'll presumably be backwards compat, so you'll get the entire Xbox One library and the 360 library and the original Xbox library. And they'll be Xbox whatever enhanced. It's going to be a good gen next gen. I re- I'm really excited. And it's actually all thanks to um, both Sony and Microsoft waking up and developing their consoles based off of PC architecture instead of having like these proprietary like parts built for it that doesn't work with like older systems, thus destroying yeah. all backwards compatibility. They finally smartened up with that. So as long as you know systems like that um, keep going forward, we're not going to worry about backwards compatibility ever again. We'll just have like yeah. all. I don't think we're going libraries. back to cell processors or anything like that. I think we're going to be fine. Yeah, they they smartened up. They've learned their lessons. <laughs> So this brings us to the main topic and the uh, elephant in the room. And I really wish Keith was here because he actually had a counter argument to me on this one. Maybe you guys do too. Um, but U.S. Senator um, is introducing a bill in to, for, for law, basically, to ban loot boxes and pay-to-win microtransactions. And honestly, 
my argument is actually for this bill, but not for kind of the reasons you're probably thinking of, like the most generic reasons. It's like, oh, yeah, because loot boxes are gambling and all that other stuff. It's basically, I think, from a game design perspective, if you have to stoop that low to have people pay for randomized loot and to pay to get an advantage over other people, you are actually generating a toxic business model where you could be focusing on making money through other DLC and other you know digital goods that will actually give people more of an incentive aside from the old carrot on the stick and hopefully get what you want um, approach. So by banning um, these things, it's actually going to force companies to go back, or at least we hope, force companies to go back to finding other ways to get extra cash out of players that is not I don't want to say deceiving but a little more fair because uh, as you know pay to win in and of itself that is like a separate topic where you know obviously you're paying real life money to get ahead of gamers who basically don't have the money to do it and are stuck in a system that's basically intentionally designed for you to pay money because the way you get stuff in game is so slow building up in-game currency to buy the things you could just get quickly real life money is just tedious and frustrating and games are designed like that basically artificially force players into paying money and some people can't afford it or don't want to do it and that those who do have a huge competitive advantage that needs to stop so that in and of itself i think is absolutely stupid but the whole loot boxes thing like I said, that is there just to generate extra revenue to recuperate costs from development. And at the same time, it gives players a chance of getting the stuff that they want when they could possibly just easily find other avenues to do it where it's not as random. And it actually gets away from the whole loot box mentality, which I think is actually just oversaturating just games in general. So that's kind of why I am actually for this bill. Um, but I know Keith was actually against it. Uh, so I don't know what his arguments would be, but... Carl, what about you? Like, are you for or against a bill like this? Obviously, it's not going to affect you because this is a U.S. law. But you know, if you were in the U.S., uh, to be deadly honest, I'm actually for it. Uh, it's one of those things that I was thinking along the lines of it when I read about the article that a lot of people are up in arms about it because, well, the, the gaming industry is supposed to be a self-regulated industry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we now have an industry that is literally designing these games around mechanics like microtransactions, like loot boxes, like selling little cosmetic pieces of shit. Look at look at how badly Mortal Kombat 11 fucked up in that system. Like, how badly that was fucked. Because they went, well, we've got to do this because we want to sell the, the crystals to, to so you can buy the good shit straight out and we overcharge for it as per fucking usual. Uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, and, and like More and more games seem to be coming up with either loot boxes or these stupid little cosmetic uh, transactions. That, oh, well, they're, tra- they're, they're cosmetic. You don't have to buy them. And then you find eventually, oh, wait, you need to buy something. You know, uh, Battlefield, the, the Star Wars Battlefield games, by EA, the last two of them, absolutely royally fucked this up because they made everything that you wanted to get the game for as a microtransaction you had to buy. So companies are now not thinking, how are we going to build the best game for the players? It's how are we going to build the best base game to get people to spend money to buy the rest of the game? And I hate that idea because it's no longer gaming about being about the playability about the games, the stories. No, it's about wringing as much cash out of our wallets as possible. The industry has failed in self-regulation. And if an industry is failing in self-regulation, then yes, the government should step up, step in and say, okay, we're now going to tell you, you can't fucking do this again because all you're doing is being profitable little cunts. That's just the way I see it. How about you, Diego? Diego, I mean, what do you think about the whole possibility of this becoming a law? Uh, I'm usually in favor of self-regulation, but yeah, we have failed as an industry. It's gotten too far. We've had 
years and years and years to correct ourselves, but it's only gotten worse. And I feel like Battlefront 2 is the poster child for, for just how bad this can get. And uh, Shadow of War as well. Because people think, oh, well, it's just cosmetic. It doesn't affect the game. The game's not built around it. But then when Shadow of War took out their loot boxes, they had to patch the game and completely redesign the progression system. Like These, these games are 100% designed around microtransactions and loot boxes. And uh, I think loot boxes aren't the greatest thing for games because they're manipulative. I don't know if I would call them outright gambling, but they're pretty close. Like They, they manipulate people and they, they prey on vulnerable people to get them to spend a lot of money. I will always prefer outright purchasing a cosmetic item as opposed to hoping I get it out of a loot box. Um, I just hope that a bill like this wouldn't go too far with, with regulation. But that's that's always a gray area because everybody has a different definition of what is too far. But, I man, I just really want people to focus on making good games again. Because it, it sucks that so many AAA games, like the overwhelming majority of AAA games nowadays, are just built to get people to pay, which really sucks. It's ruined so many great multiplayer titles. You, you remember you remember back in the day when what we now call uh, DLC content and the microtransactions was called an expansion pack? Yeah, and we actually like got you, content you, you that paid, you paid for. You, yeah, you actually got like an extra game's worth of content for just a slightly cheaper price. Remember those days? Can we get back to those days, please? When yeah, some devs are out there still doing it. Thank, thankfully, we have them still, but it's it's getting smaller and smaller every day. Yeah, uh, I, I will give uh, at least partial credit to 2K with Borderlands 3, where they said we're not going to have loot boxes. You know, we're not going to have yeah, like they're doing we're, the typical we're, we're still, expansion model. We're still, we're still having the old school expansion model where you get the story packs and you get the characters. I just wish that they put the characters in with the fucking story packs. But, okay, yeah, we're going to piecemeal it out again. Fine, sure, let's pay part of the burger as the old, uh, the old image used to be. That I can understand. But when you have games that are literally putting, like, fighting games these days, man, like Street Fighter, uh, Mortal Kombat, and Justice, they all do the same thing. We're having season passes for character blocks, for characters that have been staples in the game since day one. No, sorry. If you want to give us new characters and stuff like that, okay, let us pay for them. If you're going to just bring in the same old shit that you had in like two, three games ago, we don't want it because that's, that's just price gouging. That That's wringing money out of wallets. And like you said, the industry has failed in self-regulation in this one. And yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but even from the outside looking in, I reckon I hope that this thing gets put in the law in the US because that'll have enough ramification that that'll get uh, countries like uh, the EU, Australia, of, of pretty much everything except Japan, I reckon, to actually sit down and look at the way that these companies work and turn around and go, hold on something's wrong here and it needs to be fixed. Whether it comes to regulation from the government or, or not, it's something that needs to be fixed. And, yeah, it's just... I'm yeah, it's become it. almost, <laughs> almost parody-like recently. Like, Street Fighter Five had advertisements in it. Like, not even joking, like, real advertisements in Street Fighter Five. Like, if you would have said that five years ago, people would have laughed you away, but actual Capcom ads in Street Fighter... Yeah, on the character, and the, and the, on the stage, it's ridiculous. And like, okay, it's one, it's one thing to have sponsorship in games. Like, there's always been sponsorship in games to some degree. Okay, like the uh, going all the way back to like early arcade games, things like Daytona USA, Cruising USA. Uh, I believe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had a cross promotion with Pizza Hut when the Nintendo game came out. There's been uh, hell. Look at um, oh, what was it Crazy Taxi? That had fucking Pizza Hut, KFC, fucking McDonald's, uh, yeah. record stores. Had, uh, had ads on their billboards know. too. Yeah, they had billboard ads and stuff like that, and locations that were actual locations. You know, that type of thing's always existed. If that's the way you go to make an extra few bucks, okay, I don't mind it so much. But fuck, when Capcom did it for Street Fighter, my God, that was intrusive and just absolutely terrible. Like, even if, even if, like, 
they had something like they said they did a deal with um, they did a deal with Domino's, and it just put the text down the bottom of you know the next fight is presented by Domino's. I don't mind that, but when you take character models. Like like Guile having the US Army tattoo and that which is iconic to the character and replacing it with the Street Fighter Five logo <laughs> or the Capcom logo, I'm like, oh my god guys, seriously, that is just one step way too far, you fucking morons. Yeah, it was downright comical. Man, it's this industry has fallen so far. And, and again, people like that, to throw and around. Again, that, and that's and again, that's what happens with self regulation. Either the, the comp- either an industry is going to thrive and have some good ideas that's going to keep them innovating and changing for the future, or you get situations like this where they do absolutely fucked up things and think it's co- right because, well, what else are you going to do? Are you going to go and play a different game? <laughs> There's no other different game. Yeah, we've reached the point where we need some kind of intervention because no company has an incentive to stop doing this now because it's just become the norm. If anything, they're going to keep pushing the envelope. Yep, exactly, and it's all thanks to the magic of introducing the internet to game consoles. And here we were, so many years ago, sitting here going, oh my god, the arcades are not dead. The arcades are alive, because now I can play against people all over the world instead of going to a local store and plopping on a quarter on the machine and saying, next, I could do it whenever I want, without a quarter. And all <laughs> of a sudden, here comes DLC and character skins and exclusive weapon models and loot boxes and all this other hey, shit. It's like, on, Matt. You, you know the main thing that, that introducing the internet to the consoles killed. Friday nights, half a dozen people sitting around the Super Nintendo with the two-player controllers, the one, the official controller and that really bad third-party one that you always gave the people that came around. <laughs> Pizza, soda, and games night, man. Yeah, I miss split-screen. Yep, split-screen gaming... <laughs> Fucking the old school gatherings where if you were playing Street Fighter on the Super Nintendo, the old school smack talk, the the days of real good fun gatherings. Like why even? And I was thinking about this the other day. Why even include more than one controller with the console now? Because with the internet, it's not like we've got other people coming around playing games. Most we just jump on the internet nowadays, don't they? They do come with one, but they have the ability for more. Okay, so like Xboxes, you can have up to four controllers. Same with PlayStation. Why even bother letting that be a thing? Just have it be one controller locked to the console, that's it. Exactly. It did really kill game night. I mean, who remembers the fist fights over Goldeneye? Dude, you looked at my screen. Says, no, I didn't. How would you know to place a remote mine exactly where I was? There's some I, really, I, I really good local Who picked our job? <laughs> like, I think the fact that, that local co-op and local multiplayer has died down so, as much as it has has really made games like Overcooked like all the better. Yeah, it has. Like Every now and again, you might get one of, one of those games that sort of tries to revive it. Unfortunately, they don't last long enough. That's the biggest yeah, problem. I wish they were more common. It's just in, in the way the industry is nowadays where every other game is constantly updated and there's all these big releases, they just get overshadowed and drowned out. Which really sucks. Yeah, it does. And uh, another thing that's really destroyed that whole aspect is just the actual advancement of technology itself. It's like when you can like pick up a phone and like instantly text someone... Like, why bother going to their house to hang out? You know? I don't know. It's, it's just yeah. becoming, like... I can tell you why. Tech- Zero millisecond latency. Yeah. There you go. It's like... <laughs> I, I just wish games had the option. Because, like, Halo games used to be... You'd have split screen. You could also play online. Or you could do both at the same time. But then Halo 5 took out oh, split screen. Halo, Halo 1 on the original Xbox, you could do LAN parties with the consoles. LAN party? What's that? I don't remember those yeah, things. There are these ancient boxes called local access networks, which would usually have about anywhere up to 24 little ports where you could plug your consoles or your PCs into, and you could play games with other people in the same room. Wow, that sounds amazing. Next you can tell me we used to dial the numbers on phones with a rotary. <laughs> oh, wait. That did happen. 
damn it, I'm old. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically to wrap up that topic, um, it's destroying the industry. Honestly, like we said, games are now being designed around microtransactions. And thank God for indies, because at least a lot of the indie developers are still trying to stay true to the essence of what makes gaming great. But, you know, there's also the mobile market where a lot of indie developers are turning to, which, you know, you can't blame them because mobile games are usually a smaller project. Usually indie teams are smaller teams or possibly one or two people tops. And it's a little more accessible. But indie games in and of themselves are like the poster child for microtransactions. Like, you want to spend some money? You go get a mobile game. And you wonder why mobile games get a really bad rep in this day and age. Um, Few games are trying to kind of fix that, but it's kind of like Impact Wrestling. It's like, no matter how much you change, it's still complete crap. I don't know. I mean, I have hope um, that the industry can turn around. I do have hope that we can get back to developing games for the sake of them just being games instead of money machines, but, you know, we got to take some steps towards that, and this bill could be the first step if it passes. I'm all for it. And like I said, I wish Keith was here because he was against it and I really wanted to hear what he had to say, but, again, the life of an IT professional. Yeah. So, that being said, guys... I guess it brings us to the end of uh, another episode of Spectator Mode. Any final thoughts before you kick it out of here? Um, I'm going to go and do something that I haven't really done in a while. I'm going to try one of these simulator games. I recently got the codes, though though a bit late, for uh, Bus Simulator 18. So I'm going to go drive buses around and see if that's a good industry to go into. Let me know if you run into a Waffle House. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Diego? Man, I j- I just like video games. <laughs> there you go. That's like saying I like turtles. <laughs> yeah, but like I really like video games. Video games are good. Video games video are games fun. Are cool. They are life. They are the lifeblood which keeps this podcast going. So never stop playing. Of course, my final thoughts. I have none. I like polywogs. How about that? That's my final thought for you. So, ladies and gentlemen and others, until next time, for Diego Perez, for the absentee Keith Mitchell, who is probably drowning in a sea of autism right now, and for Carl May Smart, this is J.J. Piedra saying, once again, Godspeed to all you out there in Radio Land. Peace. <laughs>